What does it feel like when you're the best in the world at something and then you can't do that anymore? This is the Leeds Business Podcast and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. If you're a business owner feeling the pain and confusion of being lonely at the top, give me a call. I can help remove the stress and lack of clarity that you're feeling that comes with running your business. In this week's episode, we speak to rugby league legend Jamie Peacock, who is now a business coach and motivational speaker. Jamie tells us how the skills and habits that took him to the top of the tree in rugby can help you in your business, how captaining a team helps with presentation skills, and he shares with us how to build confidence and dealing with imposter syndrome. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leadsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a really interesting interview. Today's episode, we have Leeds and Bradford legend Jamie Peacock as our guest. Good morning, Jamie. Morning, Phil. Uh, it's great to be on here. I'm um, looking forward to this. Good stuff, good stuff. So, what I want to start with is 2015, is that right? You retired? Yeah. How does that how does that feel to be, you know, the best in the world at something and then in effect somebody says you can't do that anymore? Yeah, I mean you've nailed it with that question really. I think that's the difficult thing around professional sport is you, you you become 10, 15 years becoming an expert, I get yourself to the top of it. And in any normal trade, you do that for the next 30 years and reap the rewards from it. Whereas in professional sport, you get to the top, you have a period there that's not too long in the terms of the period of your lifestyle, then you're never allowed to do it again, or you're unable to get to doing that again. So it, it can be a difficult time, but for myself, you know what, I knew, I knew it was coming. Uh, I, knew, I knew the end was coming. I was probably looking forward to it a little bit at the end. Um, I played till I was 38 and it's, it's quite a physically demanding game and it uh, takes a lot out of you, a lot of pressure. And for me, I kind of, when I finished, I, I, I knew there were some principles that allowed me to be successful in rugby league that I think if I applied them into whatever field I went into would give me a very strong chance of being successful in that. I might never get to be the best in the world at it, but I, I'll be the best at what I'm trying to do in that. And I think I should be able to make a success of myself with that and that alluded with the fact that I was accepting my career was over. You know, I had an acceptance of it. It's allowed me to move on, Phil, quite easily right. from the sport um, and, and move on to my kind of second career, which is the next 20 years of my life. So you, you were quite, you were sort of quite chilled about the whole thing. I mean, obviously, you know it's coming. Yeah, you know it's coming. Uh, you've got to be prepared for it. I think I've, I've been able to do that. You know, I've, I've been to university. Um, got a master's in sports, been as a business and administration, set up a uh, business like running kids camps just to get a feel for things. And then I think it's a case when you finish playing, you, you don't know what you're going to like. You know, I got given that good piece of advice uh, by Phil Clark, actually, he, he was on Sky Sports. He said, you, you know, when you finish playing, you won't know what you like. And it's all right to try a few different things before you find out what you what like doing and where your passion lies again uh, with it. And I thought that was a really good piece of advice from him. So I was pretty... Uh, I was uh, I was okay with retiring. Retiring, not saying I didn't have any challenges, but I was okay with it. What were what were the the sort of options you had 
you know, in, in front of you? What what do you, what were you considering? So really, um, I kind of set myself up with about six, seven months ago before me and my career to move into Hokiar to be their director of, of rugby. I, I'd met their owner, Neil Ludgell, you know, he's a fantastic guy and um, just had some chats with them. And I thought they were a club who had a strong fan base, really passionate, uh, passionate owners, but I thought they just needed probably maybe a bit of direction and experience from somebody who'd been in, in a winning in environment. Uh, how long How long were you at Hull KR? So Hull KR was just very hard work. It was tough going, you know, I went, um, it, was a, it was a really tough year. We had a, a lot of things um, go wrong and be difficult. You know, ended the season getting relegated with five seconds on the clock to spare. It was a hugely challenging uh, period for myself, but I learned a hell of a lot about myself and about what I wanted to do. And I met some really great people over there. You know, some people have kind of shaped who I am still today. You know, Neil Lodgell would be one of them. Uh, Paul Sewell would be another that I met over there that I've had an influence on who I am post-rugby. And I think at the time, you know, when you're in a side that gets relegated and you've got, you're in a dressing room and you're seeing like grown men and women crying because they don't know if they've got jobs next year or anything. It's a, it's a really difficult part of sport to be involved in. But I think, um, and people ask me, you know, do you regret going there? And I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, I, I learned so much about myself. I grew a great network there. I needed to get away from the rhinos, I needed to discover myself a little bit. So despite all that, um, I wish we'd have stopped that drop goal in the last second. <laughs> going over. We were winning 8 2 I'll tell a lie, we were winning 10-2 with two minutes left and we should have just closed the game out, we got to 10-all and they scored two tries in two minutes, 10-all and then we got a drop goal that beat us in, in extra time. But um, yeah, um, it was a challenging time but I think you learn more about yourself in challenging, in challenging and difficult moments and I certainly learned a lot about myself in that first 18 months post-rugby career at OKR. Right, right, okay. Um, like before... Obviously, before you retired, you you know you were given you know you, you were awarded an MBE. You wrote uh, your autobiography. How? Uh, I mean, they obviously the MBE is fantastic. How did you go about writing the book? Yeah, I mean the book. Um, I, I probably wrote the book too early. I, I thought I was going to retire maybe two thousand and ten. You know, started writing it two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and uh, I ended up playing another five, five, six seasons. So me and me and uh, Phil Kaplan just just wrote the book. Uh, together, um, I think it'd been probably a bit better to do it at the end of my career then. But I thought I was, was going to retire, but then you know I uh, just realised how much I enjoyed playing the sport and kept going on for another five years. But I, I suppose that 2008 time was about the time I really started my transition into who I, I am today. I was fortunate on the uh, World World uh, Cup in 2008 to work with uh, Damien Hughes, who works on the High Performance Podcast, and. He began to help shape me, a motivational talk, which kind of got me to the point I am now. That was the spark that got to where I am now. Right, right, right. And you said, you know, the the sort of features that made you a success in rugby, you now teach those as a coach. What what were they? What You know, can you pin those down? Yeah, there's a few different ones, you know, there's quite a few, I think, different facets that allow me to be successful, you know, on, on a personal level, uh, I think, you know, being a positive influence, I'm pretty positive, I'm an optimistic person, I'm pretty realistic about it though, as well, I think that's key, I think, 
you know, toxic positivity is a waste of time, right? You've got to be realistic with your positivity. I'm very self-disciplined. You know, if I sit um, and if I say I'm going to do something, it'll get done for myself. But then also if I'm going to do something for another person, it'll get done. I'll deliver on my word what I'm going to say to some somebody. Uh, I'm prepared to work harder. I'll go like, you know, the extra mile, I'll go above and beyond uh, what, I, what I'm asked to do. Uh, in anything I do, and I, I'm kind of, and I think it's about being driven by trying to be excellent. You know, I think excellence is my kind of drive. It was towards the back end of my career. I think it's a great drive for anybody to have. But then around leadership, you know, things that work for me is, you know, I'm a straight talker. Uh, you, you know where you, you know where you are. You know where you'll stand with me. You might not always like what I tell you, but I I, I tell you it because I do like you. Uh, and I, I think that's the key difference uh, with a leader. I think I'm pretty good at collaborating as a leader and getting people together on the same point and understanding where people come from emotionally, um, spiritually and, you know, driven wise for them. Um, I'd also say as well, I'm, you know, I'm good at building relationships with people and good at trying to understand a bit how, how people, people work uh, along that way as well. And I think a key point in leadership for me as well, is just leading by example. I think you've got to lead by example uh, with it as well. So there, there, I think, um, principles in personal development and leadership that allow you to be successful in sport but they're ultimately very very transferable into the into the real world right 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 and at what point in your sort of transition did you did you sort of decide right i'm going to start motivational coaching was that something you so sort of naturally went into or was it just something that happened and you thought oh i quite enjoy this yeah that's a great question so um I think what happened in 2016, I realised I've been doing talks for maybe eight years now, going to business, deliver a talk, hopefully inspire some people, motivate people, you know, light a fire inside somebody. But I know myself, you know, from having talks given to myself that, that I don't, you can get a spark going with a motivational talk, but what you want to create is a, a flame burning, a flame burning long. And you do that through coaching, you usually have that through permanent change. So what I decided to do was take some of the principles I had at this point and create a system where people could follow those using a book uh, that I'd write and use, using journaling and then start to create permanent change. So originally this Building Champions Leadership uh, program started with a, uh, a book with uh, some principles in and we'd have four you know, sessions over every 10 or 12 days. That's the right cadence and get them to start to build habits in the areas, maybe a positive influence, being self-disciplined and, and for example, walking the walk. And, and when you first go into anything like this, you're like, I'm hoping this is gonna work, I'm praying it's gonna work, but then you've got to base it off feedback, right? You've got to base this off feedback you get back and then the feedback you get back, you change it. And then by doing that and basing things on feedback, I was able to keep developing the program to where it's at now, where I feel it's a, a really successful program, maybe that's it's hard for me to talk about last like, night. I, I don't like that like, be humble, but I think it stands out from other programs because it's kind of specific, it's simple, and it creates change. And I think most people like that something specific to them. They like things that are simple and they want things to create change. They want to be a better version of themselves. They just need the framework to be able to do it. Right, right. And and the book. Those of you who are watching, um, I've got a copy of the book. Be a champion. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, but I just want to look at, I just want to talk about a few other things. Um, I'm skeptical about team building days. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll go to, we'll go to Rudding. We have a nice, we have a nice lunch. Uh, we build 
bridges with, you know, Mary from accounts, and then you go back to work the next day. How would you, how would you answer that? Yeah, so I'd say that's not what I do in my team building things. It's not that <laughs> I want nice work of the tea and you won't go back to work the next day. So that's how I'd answer that. Yeah, my, mine's just a little bit different. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't like wasting people's time. I don't like wasting people's money. And I, my, my thing is around the programs I want to deliver, I want to create change. It's no good doing it unless you create change. And I think team building days per se, a day is great, right? How long that impact of team building lasts for one day, I always think is debatable. And that's the thing I, I found with. So mine are based around, you know, like two days, 30 days apart and about on the first, the first day, it'll only be a morning, a couple of hours together. And it's just around using the framework of success that I've created with building champions. And it's about the people in the room establishing what those behaviors are like for, for them within their business. And then what they would do, they would pair up. And they would go on a journey for 30 days trying to establish those behaviours in what they do in the day-to-day work. So they might have, you know, be a positive influence, they might have celebrating success. And like I said, they might have um, leading by example. Those two people um, in, a, say, a group of 20, um, so you've got 10 pairs, will work together over 30 days, you come back together after 30 days, and then they've got to present back to everybody what they've done to change and build themselves closer together. So that creates common ground, common purpose, and honest conversations. And they're the three things that, that will create team building. So mine is not like a day one. It's a 30-day process that people have to go on themselves and go on a bit of a discovery themselves. Right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. So d- let's talk about the, uh, the the Beer Champion book. It's a well-being 30-day program. Um, on the front of the cover, it says positive mindset, good sleep, eating healthily, physical activity. Just give us a, give us a, a, an overview of the whole book then. So, yeah, I'm going to do one thing now. I'm going to show you. That's the well-being book I do. This, this is actually like the leadership one I've got. It's slightly different. It just, it's not available to buy that one. That's a little bit different. Oh, okay. It's a, for those for those who for those who aren't watching, it says building champions. Okay, so let's let's talk about, about the beer champion, and then we'll talk about building champions. Yeah. So the beer champion is so in background. Two thousand seventeen uh, created a wellbeing program for the NHS over in Hull for Year Seven students. We delivered across the city, uh, focused on those four principles, which are positive mindset, sleeping well, eating healthily, being physically active. It was a great success, went really well, good feedback. But then we did a couple of years, COVID, it dropped off doing that. But in the middle of COVID, um, obviously, well-being became such a big thing, right, for people like people. And the reason why well-being became a big thing is because in our brains, we just like routine. We like things to be the same. And, and we love that. When things are different, right, it stresses us. And in COVID, things were massively different for everybody. So people have various different mechanisms to cope with stress, but some good ways of coping with stress are if you've got a positive mindset, if you're sleeping well, if you're eating healthily, if you're being physically active, right? They're things that can give you a bit of an armour to help you deal with the stresses in the world a bit better. You still feel a bit stressed, but not as a bigger impact with it. So my idea was that... um, I think well-being was confusing people. You think it's like three-hour yoga sessions or only ever eating green organic food. Actually, your well-being is about little micro-actions that you can do every day. For example, for your sleep, a micro-action could be you just don't have your phone on an hour before you go to bed and you sleep in a, you sleep, make sure you sleep in a, in a dark room and you have no TV in your room. They're, they're micro-actions that everyone can do and be accessible to everybody. So I was out running uh, during lockdown and the idea came 
to me for this 30-day wellbeing program that could be simplistic and create change and be accessible for like 10-year-olds to 100-year-olds. So I turned my room around, actually, and uh, I, I rubbed straight at home, and I thought, I've got to get this down. It's my, like, eureka moment. So I began to write everything down, how it would be structure, and that became the basis of it. And then I launched that in, um, you know, in COVID, during those COVID times, and it became a great success, really, you know, with uh, individuals taking up themselves, but then also, you know, businesses and educational facilities taking up for their whole facility. So you, you had a wellbeing program that was delivered across uh, all of them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look back at that and um, I've, I, I'm something I'm quite proud of, proud of doing and proud of creating that book. And also just the, the impact that it's had as well is really humbling and nice to see. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, so that's the Be a Champion book. Yeah. <laughs> the the book you've the book the book you've got that I haven't got a copy of. Yeah. Building Champions. Tell us about that book. Yeah, so that's the one that's originally started out, you know, 2016, created a book around creating change for people, and it's been through four reiterations to this point now that you've got this book now, uh, from where it was originally, and just based off people's feedback, and that's kind of my day-to-day -day workings now Phil is delivering that to cohorts of you know six to ten people within different um, multi-range of different businesses uh, across the country really which and it's something I, I I love doing I absolutely love doing it you know and I feel lucky to have gotten into some work that I, I love doing and I really care about Fantastic, fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll carry on. I, I want to pick on that thread. Um, but first, I need to tell everybody about the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The Fair Deal has two sides to it. My side of it is I bring you fantastic, inspirational and motivational guests like Jamie for free every single week. Your side as listeners has two parts to it. Part number one, I want you to recommend this podcast to one other person. And part two, I want you to write a review either on the Apple Podcasts app at podchaser.com or give us a thumbs up at Spotify. Or if you're watching on YouTube, give us a wave to everybody who's on YouTube, Jamie. There you go. Jamie's waved for those who are listening. Um, give, us a, give us a review on, um, on YouTube as well. So that's the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. Fair deal, Jamie? that sound good? Sounds like a fair deal to me, Phil. Good, 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 good. So... You, you've talked about the Beer Champion book. You've talked about the, the Building Teams book. How do you replace that dopamine of, of playing professional rugby league? Do you get enough of it from the stuff you're doing? Yeah, I mean, again, great question. So I think that's the biggest challenge is, and how I dealt with that originally was on a Friday or Saturday, I'd give myself a, a big physical challenge at the weekend, you know, make sure I go running for 50 minutes and maybe get on the bike for 30 minutes. That almost replicates the game, right? And that began to help me in the first couple of years of doing that when you really miss playing, you miss, you know, being part of it and, and playing. That helped. And then just uh, began to went uh, like races, like uh, fitness competitions, because then you have that shared sense of achievement together. Like when you run a marathon, I know you're doing it singularly, but everybody else is going through that experience with you. And, and you know, during that last 10K, when everyone's just in pieces and really hurting, but you're all pushing through together, that, that's as close as you get uh, to that shared sense of accomplishment um, in rugby league. And then for me, I kind of throw myself in, into fitness. You know, I, I love training. Uh, I love the challenge of training physically. And uh, it's, a, it's a massive part of who I am today. And 
I think I, I love training as a player anyway, and I've kind of really honed in on it now. And I just like I like training with different people. I like doing different things. I, I love the fact that you know tra training over the last 10, 15 years has become like it's cool, right, to go out and train or go for a run with somebody rather than you know it's changed from always meeting a pint to do business you know a lot of stuff in my business is done up going for a run with somebody you know so let's meet up for a run let's go do that let's go do a workout together so uh for me my dopamine was initially hard to replace did it by physical challenge whereas now you know i just love my physical uh challenges anyway and, and I, I'm, I'm beyond i really am beyond playing do not miss it out. right right and do you do you get that do you get that dopamine hit when you're doing Sort of keynote speaking or talking to talking to companies do you get that as well because I, I i i do a lot of public speaking and i that's where i get I, I mean i get my dopamine hit from playing football as well but i get that hit doing presentations do you get do you get that as well um i, I don't know you know I, I love nailing it and getting it right where i i i want to make a change and make a difference in there so i want to give that audience my best and i i, I like it where i, I know most times i, I can get uh, room all on side with me uh, and I think that's quite a skill to be able to develop you know I could do it as a player but those players were older probably have a bit more respect for me than an audience do because they know me a bit better and I, I, had, I think I had a skill to be able to do that as a player but I think I, I've certainly developed that skill, skill now and it's nice to be able to hold a room uh, to, be able, to be able to do that um, and I do enjoy doing that and do enjoy hoping that when people are listening intently that they are going to work, go away and make a difference. So I don't know whether it's a dope in a minute, but it just strike with my values of trying to make change and, and do the right thing. So, yeah. Right, right. And did you get any, did you get any professional training for, for sort of standing up in front of, you know, 200 people in a room? Or do you just, just go for it and do it and, sit and see, what, see what worked? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, no professional training, but people forget, right, that when you're a leader in a sports team or a captain, you're presenting every single day, you're presenting and you're having to get people where you need them to be because you're having to get your ideas of what you want to a group of 25 or 30 when you're on a pitch, you need to do that. So you, you learn, if you want to become good at it, you need to learn how to do it. And you can do that through reading, you know, through, like slowing yourself down and speeding up or raising voices or direct eye contact there's lots of little stories to it and i think it's about reading up on it and i've been practicing that for you know 10 years before i started speaking to 200 people and i mean in front of this 200 people you've got to have your own little tricks you know sometimes when i was initially speaking i'd get a bit nervous but i know um if i think somebody in the audience doesn't think i can do it well then that kind of uh, makes me do a really good job. So I used to do that originally. I think these two people, I think you're going to be crappy. Uh, you're going to show them and then I'd nail it that way. So I think it's about working out where to deal with your nerves at first. Right, right. And, you know, you've been doing you've been doing this, what we talk about, like eight, ten, nearly ten years now. What, eight years? Did you, did you not fancy staying in rugby league, like as a coach? No, um... The thing is with coaching in rugby league, it'd be a really selfish um, career choice to make and maybe a bit short-sighted because realistically, there's probably three to five, you know, very good jobs as head coaches in Super League clubs, you know, because of the infrastructure in those clubs. But um, say you lose one of those roles, you know, say you get the head coach's role, then it, realistically, you're only ever in a six-week contract, you know, you lose six games in a row, you're, you're out of the job. And then where do you go next after that? It's a really, really small field, you know, and I, I didn't want to go in. I think I have more strings to my bow, uh, given the size of the field. 
uh, it made more sense to me to go into what I'm doing now. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So every week we ask our guests to share a how-to with our audience. So, Jamie, take it away with your how-to. Yeah, so, so my how-to would probably come from the biggest or most common, actually most common challenge a lot of people face when we're in coaching. There's two things around just building confidence, okay, and then feeling imposter syndrome when, when you've been kind of promoted. So the, the first one around building confidence, I, I, I believe, which makes impact is understanding your strengths. Do you know what we do often? We focus on the things we don't do well and they become anchors in, in our lives. And, and that's down to, you know, nature. We had to focus on what didn't go well 500,000 years ago. We'd probably get eaten around the corner, but that doesn't work so much now. So we need to focus more on the positive. So my how-to to build confidence would be, first of all, maybe write down what you think your three strengths are as a person, as a character. You know, it might be relationship building. It might be a good sense of humor. It might be determination. But then also ask three other people who you respect what they think your three strengths are. So then you've got a banker there of what you think your strengths are and what people you respect think your strengths are. Then over a period of 30 days, you need to just write down uh, one thing you've done well that day using one of your strengths, uh, but do that personally and professionally. And if you do that for a period of 30 days and have the determination and the commitment to do it, you'll build your confidence over 30 days. Then the add-in to do, uh, to help you when you move into a new role and get rid of your imposter syndrome in there is you've got to do the confidence thing. You know, you've still got to write down the thing you've done well personally, the thing you've done professionally using your strengths. But then the last thing I'd say that works is to write down each day something that you've learned because in a new role or in a new position, you're not supposed to know everything. If you knew everything, you shouldn't have been promoted into that. You should have been promoted up, up again from that. So it's important that you write down the things that you're learning along the way in that journey. And again, if you have the commitment and determination to do that for 100 days, the first 100 days of your role, you'd have 100 days of writing down the things that you've done well professionally and personally. And you have a list of 100 things that you've learned along the way. And the ability to read back on that then will keep giving you additional confidence and get rid of imposter syndrome along the way. So that's my kind of how-to. Fantastic. That, that's, that is so logical and so simple that everybody can do that, can't they? Yeah. Do you know what it is, Phil? It's accessible. It's accessible to everybody. The challenge is for people is to do it every day. But if you know, ultimately, you will benefit from it. So you should want to do it every single day with it as well. So you've obviously now, uh, I was reading, you've done, you know, you've presented to thousands and thousands of people over, over your time since playing rugby. What was your favourite, what was your favourite keynote speak, speech? What? That's a tough question, that. Um, that's a correct question. Uh, my favourite, um, do you know what? Probably one that stood out for me uh, is in December this year, I got invited by Pepsi to go speak at Google, Google headquarters. So if you could, if you'd have asked me when I first started speaking eight years, eight, nine years ago, when, you, when you're doing small little gigs and you're just learning how to do it, that somewhere along the line, uh, you get invited by, you know, one of the world's biggest companies um, to, to do a talk for them in a, a company that's probably one of the world's biggest uh, it would probably say now that never happened. And the thing was, when I got there, I, I wasn't, I, I felt really privileged to do it. You know, when we're in the Google building in, in London, I thought it's amazing to be in there. I don't anyone gets to be in there. I'm going to soak all this up. 
Um, but then, I, do you know what? I wasn't nervous about doing it because I think over time you understand people are people and that's the one thing you get out of it by being in loads of businesses is that ultimately people are people. We all have our good side, but we all have our flaws along the way as well. There are no like unicorns and no perfect people. So and I think that mindset then allowed me to, to live it uh, the talk in a kind of my usual relaxed style of doing things. So that would be the talk that would stand out for me for. That's amazing. That's amazing. Turn up at Google to do a do a talk. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we always ask all our guests to give a, a shout out to another Leeds company. So, Jamie, who are you going to give a shout out to today? Yeah, I love this question, and, and it's I've been thinking a lot about this. It's tough. There's so many to chat about. What I'm going to do is like the Auckland Group, or a tech company in Leeds. Um, I just I've done some work with them before, um, and I think they they're a, they're a great company. Um, I think they, they punch above the weight, and they, they've just become B Corp. And I like their ethos. I think they've got a great um, you know Robert Auckland's. I think they are the the founder's son and the pivot and change the business. So I think they're a great business uh, within Leeds as well. So they're the ones I'd like to give a shout out to. Right, and there will be a link in the show notes uh, below um, with all their details. So one one final thing, um, and we've got a special offer for all our listeners and viewers. If you want to win a signed copy of Jamie's book, I need you to post a review on the Apple Podcast app, sign up to the Leeds Business Podcast priority list at www.leadsbusinesspodcast.com slash subscribe. And everyone that does that will be entered into a draw and Jamie will sign a book for you and stick it in a post. How's that? Sounds like a deal to me, does that, Jamie? (laughs) (laughs) Jamie says that sounds like a deal. Jamie, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Um, You know, you don't need me to tell you you're a legend, but you're a legend. Thank you very much. Really kind. I really enjoyed being on. You've asked me some great questions there. So thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you, much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week.